This episode is sponsored by 107 Media. 107 Media specializes in helping sustainable CPG brands with paid social, influencer marketing and retail media networks as well. If you are interested in the services, we have given a form in the description box below. Just fill that form out and they will get in touch with you right away. Now without further ado, let's get into today's episode with your host Sumit Patil. So hello and welcome to Startup 107 podcast. My name is Sumit Patil and in today's episode, I'm joined by David Schneiderman. Uh, David is a founder of a brand called Two Beers, which is a coffee brand based out of Canada. Uh, David, first of all, thank you so much for your time, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, so, David, before we kind of go into your story of building Two Beers, uh, would love to know a bit more about you and your background as well. Sure. Um, I mean, it's it's a long story of entrepreneurship from as young as I can remember. Um, I think I was. 13 years old, and um, these CD burners came out where you could copy CDs. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, take the bus to a store. I would buy a bunch of CDs. I would <laughs> burn them onto a disc and make mix CDs. I'd return all the CDs because I couldn't afford them. Okay. And then I would sell mix CDs in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly realized, you know, there's only so many kids I can sell CDs to for, uh, uh, you know, ten dollars. But you know, if I can sell to other people at other high schools a bunch of CDs for five bucks, and they can resell them for ten at their school, mm-hmm. and I have quite a little empire of of CDs and selling, <laughs> you know, mixes, and I just had that that love of of, of I call it like hustling and mm-hmm. and just I, I just anything, and so it really started from a very young age, and mm-hmm. um, there's been many different businesses, both uh, good and bad, that uh, really. Did or did not work out over the time, and um, then a few years ago, I was um, I started. It was like over a decade ago. Started a company where you could. Um, it was a little restaurant, and you came in and you filled out what you wanted in a salad. You know, uh, did you want uh, what kind of lettuce, tomatoes, meat, no meat, whatever? It was like like a like a sushi list that you check off what you wanted. Um, problem is, over ten years ago, even though. Uh, salads weren't big yet. So people were getting very upset with $20 uh, salads. They didn't realize, you know, I'd gotten up at 4.30 in the morning to get fresh vegetables and people weren't as healthy back then. It was still like uh, going to Subways and getting a sub was healthy. Um, So the business was failing, um, but I had a, a lease on the property I had to pay. And so I got a corporate catering gig where I'd sold a 10 prepared meals to uh, a law firm okay. and it worked. It went amazing. And I quickly realized that um, you can pivot a business. And I, I took a reference from that law firm and went to every accounting firm, law firm and office in, in Montreal where I was living. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, I started getting uh, meals uh, ordered a month in advance for 20, you know, 30, 50 people. And I didn't even have to ever ro- open the restaurant again. I only used it as a catering um, business mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, sold that uh, after a year as a catering company, not as a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so just a, a long story of trying things, failing or failing forward and pivoting. And here I am um, six years ago when I started Two Bears and uh, that's made many changes over the last six years uh, in in a positive way, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think David, uh, from your high school days, you were kind of hustling, you know. And I think um, you had that, you know, entrepreneurial thing in you from the very early days. Um, but 
a two beers story right david first of all how did you get got introduced with the coffee industry and uh, would love to know more about the initial startup story of two beers mm-hmm. so the the idea um was was i'd actually just had a business that failed and i lost a lot and i also lost a lot of time and that's when i realized that you know how how time is more valuable than everything so i said what is a new business that i can start where if it doesn't work in 5 years i'm not looking back and i'm saying what a waste of time that at least i had fun so i i thought about the things that i loved and um it was just chatting with people and meeting new people it was i love sales like sales for me is the funnest part is is going out meeting people and trying to make i mean a sale and another thing is traveling i love traveling so um i remember uh, i you know i'd love to meet someone for a cup of coffee and i was always into coffee and you know as it's 6 years ago or something i tried a cup of cold brew and i'd never heard of it before cold brew coffee and there i was living in a new city toronto at that time and there's only like five cafes doing it i said oh my god what if i hand bottle hand label and and just try and sell some coffees out of my car to stores and just see what happens okay. um and and it started like that cuz i said you know what if this works i get to learn about coffee i could go to origin trips and you know before you know it i could um go to south america colombia and then eventually africa india and just travel the world visiting coffee farms and so that was really how it stemmed was not of what i was going to do but why i was going to do it and all the wise made sense with with the cold brew and so yeah i started selling it out of my car and i rented a bar that would close they'd close at 2 in the morning and i would go in there too and i'd make all the coffee in their kitchen wow. and label it all and uh, you know by 7 in the morning i had i don't know 30 40 uh glass bottles and um sell those and then just keep doing that you know 7 days a week until i was able to do more volume and get you know i think i eventually had like 20 stores buying from me and i could no longer deliver it so i was able to get a distributor and um that's really where the story begins and the and the craziness you know of figuring out how to fulfill bigger orders and how to make it taste good and then you know going from i think it was something like sold $12,000 the first year okay uh, 100,000 the next year mm-hmm. um and uh yeah 6 years later it's um luckily like we're selling um multi millions it's it's really something special yeah but i think the initial hustle yeah but i think david the initial hustle which you did right uh it is truly inspiring right where uh, um doing everything you know figuring out stuff and um it looks very easy when someone says that i created a coffee brand but when we look into the execution there are there's so many things involved in it right the coffee sourcing the the packaging right the bottles you might have had to source uh, so i think it it's truly inspiring uh, to hear your story thank you thank you yeah the 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 you, you don't need the capital if, if if you've got the hustle you know when um, we we couldn't i couldn't afford boxes um like uh to be labeled and look nice so i had a stamp made for 99 bucks and like mm-hmm. yeah i would stamp hundreds of boxes all night till i couldn't feel my hand uh you just 
do it. And then it looked professional and we look like a real company, even, you know, no one, ha- no one need, the customer doesn't know what I did, nor should they need to at that time. Sure. Um, you know, we had to wrap. So you, you, at that point we were in glass bottles, not in cans and every glass bottle needed, um, it was a little piece of plastic and then you melted it on with like a little uh, heat sealer to, okay. so nobody could open it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I literally hung that from a metal hanger from the ceiling so I okay. could not need to use my hands because my hands were already adding the label, putting the seal on, and then I could just move it under the the heat lamp, like the, the heater that was hanging from the ceiling so I could do what two people could do at once. You know, you just had to had to be so innovative um, to figure out how to do it. You know, as um, it's the old expression that um, in a, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. Absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people complain, David, about I don't have this, you know, I don't have that. But uh, listening to your story, I'm pretty sure a lot of folks might have um, gotten a true understanding of what real hustle means. I I agree. And, and I actually, I try and use my, my my LinkedIn platform to share that with people because it's so easy in life, whether it's a, a relationship or a business or whatever it may be to blame someone or find an excuse why you can't mm-hmm. instead of finding the more energy at the moment to think of a solution, which lands up getting you so much farther with less energy for the rest of your life. And so we're just, it's just so habitual to think, oh, I can't do that because I don't have money. I can't do that because I'm busy. I can't do that. Uh, I've got kids at home. I've got um, no car. I've got, and there's so many reasons why th- th- there's endless reasons why we can't do something. But I think when you really focus on it, there's usually a reason how you can. Absolutely, David. Uh, but in terms of the product, right, David, um, are we sourcing from the farmers? Well, what I, what we do is we, source from people who are sourcing right from the farmers when we can't okay so we're not necessarily experts you know we we have some coffee that we actually bring in and we roast and and that's like we, i've literally been to the farms in colombia okay. Um, okay. and then there's just others you know in in africa and other countries that we source from someone who is a importer and so they've been to the farms but we haven't so okay. Um, yeah, we try and use our network in the best way possible. Uh, but in terms of the beans, David, right? Um, uh, I'm not well aware of the different types of beans and which are better, uh, but would love to know more about the types of beans which we use in our coffee. And sure. uh, if you can tell us about that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, so um, I, I will prefix with the fact that um, we started off as 100% coffee. And in the last three years, we started doing uh, oat milk mm-hmm. and adding oat milk into our coffee. So we make lattes and cans, like oat lattes with nitrogen. And that's just taken off because, I, I mean, where we're located, 75% of consumers add a milk and sugar. So we're just plant-based. And instead of adding cow milk, we add plant-based oat milk. Okay. And okay. that business has just, like I would say, it's uh, 90% of our business now. It's really wow. kind of turned into that 90 percent. oh yeah oh yeah it's it, it's amazing we have a canning line and equipment and we sell all these oat lattes okay. um okay. so you can get them at twobears.ca <laughs> quick plug um but um you, you, the coffee is the source of everything and and without 
good coffee. Um, nothing we make would taste good. The drinks we make and, and everything we do, we wouldn't be good. So it is a great question to understand the coffee. And I guess I'll try and say it quickly and simply, there's two main types of coffee, Arabica and Robusta. And um, Arabica is a much tastier one. It has a little less caffeine than Robusta, um, but it, it's, it's definitely the one that um, in, in all good specialty coffees, it's usually 100% Arabica. Sometimes people add a very little bit of Robusta, especially when you have like an Italian style uh, coffee, because it gives it a little bit of that crema on top, which um, advertising has made people think that crema is important, uh, though it's not necessarily, and it gives it a very strong taste. So we always use 100% Arabica. Then when you look at the Arabica beans, there's so many different varietals. And what that means is you know, I'm, I'm sure if you've bought apples, you see all the Macintosh, Granny Smith, Fuji, like all these different kinds of apples. Um, coffee is no different. It's a cherry. And there's so many different kinds of cherries. Um, inside of this cherry, um, they can pick it, hopefully when it's ripe and, and, and nice and red, the farmer. And that's very important. They pick the ripe cherry. Inside of this cherry is two seeds. And that's why they're actually, if you look at the shape of a coffee bean, you can see like the two of them kind of like yep, almost like connect. Yep, yep. So there's two green beans inside mm -hmm. of the, um, of each cherry. And if you get a good variety and there's, I mean, I'm talking varieties, there's a geisha, which could be like the most expensive coffee variety in the world. And so there's, there's just too many to describe, but um yeah. So, so that's that. And so once you get a good variety and it's, it's picked ripe, then it comes the, the um, how was it dried? Was it dried uh, with the, the skin and the fruit of the cherry still on, which is very popular in Costa Rica, or was it uh, dried with no skin? And, and that really affects the taste. So once you've got a dried green bean, then it gets shipped to, you know, where we are at the roaster and, um, then it's how it's roasted. You know, you can roast it medium, dark, and all the different types in between. And this is where the real magic begins. Um, unlike um, wine, you know, as long as it's stored in the right temperature, once it's in the, the bottle, it's, it's the taste is done. Coffee, I mean, it's just one of the most complicated things in the world. So now you could have the best bean from the best cherry and um, imported to you at the right time, and it's it's fresh. And then you even roast it amazingly and you've nailed everything. Mm -hmm. But if you don't grind it properly, mm -hmm. you don't extract it properly, or you've got the wrong grind setting and it's too coarse or too fine for the extraction method, the coffee's ruined. So it's really just such a beautiful, magical thing that there's just so many intricacies to get the perfect taste. And, and people don't realize that a grinder is probably one of the most important tools someone could have you want to grind right before you make it you don't want to buy pre-ground coffee and you want to make sure you've got the right grind setting so the water doesn't go through it too fast or too slow and over or under extract the taste um sorry i'm going on a little bit of a uh, tangent here no it's, it's pretty uh, interesting dude i think um, um <laughs> yeah <laughs> the technicalities involved in, in you know um, producing a good coffee is there's so many things right which you just described yeah. And, and then, so let's say now we're already at the process where you've got the best grinder, then, then comes, so cold brew coffee, what we used to make in 2015 and, um, 
eventually uh, I merged my business with uh, my partner, Joanne Gelati. And the first thing he said is, I'm never going to make cold brew again if you want a partner. So I said, why? Mm -hmm. He said, listen, cold brew is a trend. But if you want the best taste, you have to use the best extraction methods. And it, it, it has nothing to do with trend. Okay. So he explained to me what flash brewing means. So mm-hmm. coffee is meant to be extracted with hot water. With hot water, 96 degrees Celsius water, mm-hmm. you, you, can actually, um, you can actually get the right, um, the right natural oils and sugars extracted from it. And so you can't get that in cold water. And you also, oxygen is the worst thing that can, you can do to food or coffee or anything. And you don't want something to sit for 24 hours getting oxygen in cold water. So flash brewing means um, it's a four minute process. You take 96 degree water, you extract the coffee. And the second it comes out, you, you can pour it on ice and you flash chill it. And by flash chilling it, it means it's not going to change and get more bitter over time. You just have all the delicious natural sugars and oils of the coffee, and then you flash freeze it to uh, well, like till two degrees, three degrees Celsius. And now you've got this, the most delicious cold coffee you ever had. And it's so much tastier, in my opinion, than it has more taste because of the natural sugars and oils. And so um, that's the base of everything we do. And while flash cold brewing or flash brewing might not be as popular, um, we've never really cared about what's popular. We just do what we think tastes best. And I think in the next few years, it's really going to, you'll start hearing that term much more, um, flash brewing. Yep, absolutely. But you mentioned about uh, Joe and you know how you and um, Joe partnered up. Um, mm-hmm. But did you knew Joe from beginning or... That's a, that's a great question. And, and so I did not know him. I was actually buying coffee from him. He was the coffee roaster when I was hand bottling and, and making these cold brew drinks um, in 2015. I was buying from him and I didn't know him. I just, okay. Okay. You know, I literally send an email to a guy I'd never met and, you know, he'd send the coffee in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had called him a few times to ask him some coffee questions because I had no knowledge Mm-hmm. And he just knew so much about coffee. It was incredible. So okay, okay. he was going, I think it was 2018, he was going to Columbia and he told me about this trip. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, um, can I go with you? You know, I'll pay my own way, but can I go and visit the farms and learn about coffee? Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And on that trip, we became friends. And we also realized we were the perfect partners because he was importing coffee, roasting, and had the knowledge and I was able to build out a brand that was popular and, 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 uh, and make these drinks. So we just literally like a, made a deal on the napkin. And wow. That was it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's a great story, uh, David. And uh, it's kind of unexpected how we meet people, right? And still friends. I mean, and, and family, like I know all of his family. Um, like it's just... Um, you hear horror stories from other people and people don't always say the good stories. And this is, yes, um, yes. this is, this is a story of neither of us would be here without the other. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, but in terms of packaging, David, right. It's super important in the CPG space, right. And it helps us to stand out as well from the competitors. Uh, you did mention that initially just you started with the bottles, but uh, how has the packaging evolved over time? And just would love to know, uh, you know, how did we came up with the uh, colors, you know, uh, mm-hmm. logo, the branding and everything uh, about it? 
So th that's a good question. Um, glass is the easiest for anybody to start because mm -hmm. you can do it yourself. But long-term, um, the taste is way better in a can because you could add nitrogen, which makes it creamy. Mm -hmm. um, and, there's just, and it weighs less so you can ship online. So we knew we had to get into cans and figured out what kind of equipment and we were able to source the equipment. So now we've got the can, we've got the product, we've got the quality, the taste, but yet we had no marketing money. So the only way to market it at the beginning was to have a package that really stuck out and caught your attention. So, you know, um, it's, th there's really almost no better marketing than a nice label. I mean, that is the, the one of the most powerful things you can have. And there's rules to labeling. I'd really done a lot of research, spoke to mentors to understand what a label should look like and, you know, how the logo should be the first thing anybody sees. So they always know your brand. And, you know, if you have five flavors, nine flavors, the, the logo needs to all be in the same place. So when the cans are all up on a shelf, um, the eye naturally sees all those like nine flavors as one unit and then looks over to them. So there's a lot of rules that we followed um, and colors had to be bright and get your attention, but they also had to make sense with the flavor. You know, if you have a, a chocolate flavor and the labels uh, pink, people are going to think the liquid inside is pink and it's not chocolate. So th there's also rules to flavors that we followed. Um, we wanted, uh, it was very important that the logo was extremely recognizable. So eventually when you can take the copy off and we didn't have to write the words two bears, you still just knew that bear. And we wanted a cute, something that like people would really just want to wear on. Like it had to be so nice that if we put it on a sweater, people would want that to would buy look it. Great. Yep, that would look great on the sweater. Yeah. No, so we, 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 we've actually made a bunch of merch and sweaters that, um, sell quite well on our website yeah, right. like the brands so i mean we sell these tote bags and mugs and it's actually quite shocking how much gifts and merch we sell it's really evolved because we put so much of an emphasis on the brand because at the end of the day a business is just a brand because other companies whether it takes them six months or three years uh, if they see your success they copy what you're doing Yep. So they have to believe in the brand and love the brand. Absolutely. I think one thing I heard from uh, one of the founder, David, is that the importance of trademarking <laughs> when you're yeah. starting your business. So I think that is also super important in uh, the branding side of things. Yes. It, it's, uh, we've, we actually uh, tried to start a second brand. We bought all the packaging, did everything, and only found out later it was already trademarked in the U.S., and we had to throw out something like $12,000 of packaging, which was like, I don't know, it, it either sounds like a lot or a little, depending on who you are in business. But to us, it was uh, many, many, many sleepless nights. Um, true, true. Trademarking is vital. And um, if you're in North America, you want Canadian and US. Those are two very important ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think trademarking is super important. Um, but David, in terms of the markets, right? Uh, are we selling just in Canada or are we in US as well? Yeah, we're, we're in the US as well. Interesting. Okay. We actually and export to a few different countries. You can get us in uh, 
like, well, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, okay. parts of the Philippines, Mexico, you know, being, being plant-based and mm-hmm. healthier for you, clean ingredients, um, lightweight, easy to ship, good taste. Um, we really get like our, 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 um, our product really attracts like 22 to 45 year olds looking for that kind of clean ingredient. So, um, the market is growing. We're, we're very fortunate. Interesting. But David, have you seen any, uh, or any differences between us and Canadian market? Are there any insights or learnings for you? Well, I, you know, the, the U S what's amazing is it's a much bigger market mm-hmm. and lots of consumers, but much more competitive. Um, which I love. I love competition. And the competition makes you want to get better and constantly improve. And and so even when I'm just down in the states and I'm trying every single you know company in the similar uh, category, it's just amazing what you can learn and you know pieces you can repurpose. Um, so that's it's just how innovative people are because there's more competition. They figure out more tricks and and ways to do better. You know. Uh, even in packaging, I noticed um, we had to add a sticker on every single six pack to put the date um, because it's just, there's just very little equipment to do that. And we okay, noticed okay. Huge, another company in the States had a hole cut out, you know, the, the, of the bottom. So you could see the bottom of a can, which already has the date. So by doing that, we save, you know, uh, an hour every day without stickering and it's, you know, save tens of thousands um, as we've grown over the years, uh, just by such a little simple packaging change, mm-hmm. you know, so there's just, there's just so much to learn from competition. Yep, absolutely. Uh, but in terms of marketing, David, especially on D2C side, uh, which channels are we focusing on? Um, we're, we're really in all of them. I mean, we're, we, we try and market in all of them. TikTok's the newest one, which we are, uh, still learning. Okay. And, uh, I mean, to say we're beginners would, would even be a stretch. Yeah, but I think everyone is uh, on joke. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is over 20 years old. Um, yep. And I'm twice that age. So I, we've, we've got a lot to learn. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we've, been, we've been strong on Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. um, pretty decent on Pinterest. You know, d- different, 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 cate- different avenues have different audiences looking for different things, you know? So Pinterest, you can give recipes and, and your website, you can have blogs, but you know, those won't perform as well on Instagram. So it's, it's, we're, we're trying a little bit of every, of different things on different channels. Uh, but David, in terms of the um, funding, right. And capital, uh, the one thing which I heard from almost all the founders, which I was able to um, uh, have a conversation with is, you require a lot of capital in CPG. Have you guys, are you still bootstrap or have you guys raised any money uh, for your business? No, we're, we're still bootstrapping it. And um, mm-hmm. there are, uh, we, we have borrowed some money from the government. Uh, the government has some, um, some um, like they, they, they have some, some government grants and they also have like these crown corporations that will lend money through the bank uh, and the, the government guarantees it. I mean, these are not huge sum of monies. Uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs you hear today, they're all, oh, you know, they write, I've raised 2 million, 5 million, 10 million on LinkedIn. Um, and to each their own, um, we'll eventually raise money. But we're trying to make sure we can stay true to our goal. And when you raise money, you know, people don't realize they're giving up equity, which 
you know, equity is actually the most expensive form of borrowing money. You, you know, cool. you're better off paying a high interest rate than selling equity, unless yep. the equity is very smart equity and people that are going to really grow your business mm -hmm. without controlling and changing your vision. So um, it, we're trying to make business as valuable as possible. And then eventually we're going to bring on a group of investors that are a, a group of knowledgeable uh, people that are in the CPG space that uh, have more more in their in their weekly or monthly um mentorship lessons than than their money you know like so that's that's the kind of equity we eventually want to give up is uh for insight absolutely uh, but david if you have to give one final advice to entrepreneurs out there what would that be if it was i would i would say um I mean, it's not one, it's, it's kind of like the three pillars, which is, um, it, it's, you, you, you need discipline. Um, I, I, you know, I could break it down to two is, is basically discipline and, and, and be pleasantly persistent. So you need to have the discipline to wake up early every day, have no excuses, figure it out, take care of yourself, work out, you know, and, and all the things it takes to finish, you know, if, if you've got kids and they go to bed and you're exhausted, but you've got to send 10 more emails, and you, you do what you have to do and you have to be disciplined to, to finish it. And then the persistence part of it is you've got it, you can't stop, you need to improve every single day, you need to follow up with people, you need to work with a sense of, of urgency, you know, you just because you've sent an email doesn't mean they're going to write back and you've got you've to persist. And, if you just keep showing up every single day, um, that 12,000, you know, the, the 6,000 glass bottles you sold year one could easily be over a million in year six and could be over 5 million in, in year seven. So uh, discipline and persistence. Absolutely. With that, David, um, it was an honor to have you on the Startup 107 podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.